Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here for another hour of awesomeness. Brian Noyes, our old friend, he's here. We're going to be talking to him about spa frameworks and all that stuff. But uh, how are you, sir? I am well. I'm just plunking along here. You know what I got? What? We've been working on that little vacation house up on the coast. I was going to say, a cold? No, I haven't got a cold, but <laughs> I've got a little gizmo. It's actually, I think it's a Raspberry Pi with a touchscreen mounted on it and a 3D printed case. It's called a tide clock. Oh. It's actually showing me the tides on the coast near the house at any given time. So it's, it just happens to be when we're recording, it's low tide right now. Wow. Okay. And it's over on the West Coast, different from the East Coast, we have a semi-diurnal tide, which means we have a high, high tide and a low, low tide, and then sort of a medium high tide. And then a medium low tide. Is one of those a neap tide or is that something else? A neap tide is something else, dude. Yeah. Yes. I know it's an answer in crossword puzzles. That's all I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, roll the music, Richard, because I have something totally useless for Better No Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? It's useless. It's funny. And it's unintentionally a plug for this guy's website, but I don't care. It's just great. You like it that much? I do. Uh, And this is right up there with the topic today because it is a spa, but it's a very simple and very effective spa. Go to 1437.pwop.me or getcoleman.com, C-O-L-E-M-A-N. Go ahead, and I just want to hear your reaction. (laughs) So what you're looking at is a black screen. Yep. Uh, Joe Coleman, his name up in the left, very small font, hamburger menu in the right, little bit of text in the middle, but a slider at the bottom. Right. On the left, it says less hard sell. On the right, it says more hard sell. And you scroll all the way to the left, it says, so yeah, I'm a freelance copywriter. What of it? And the next one over, if you need a freelance copywriter, you could phone me or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he, uh, 
If you need a freelance copywriter, you could try phoning me. It's up to you. And you just keep going and it keeps getting a few more words and then some bold words and then some red headers and then some stickers and then all the way to the end, (laughs) explosions and cats and dogs on skateboards. Seizure induction. (laughs) The whole screen's flashing. There are dogs on skateboards. This is out of control. Okay, I love everything about this. not the best website you've ever seen? <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Oh, congratulations, Joe. That really tickled me. Oh, it's very funny. Yeah. All right. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show twelve seventy eight, the one we did with Brian back in April twenty sixteen, talking about Cordova versus Xamarin. I see we seem to be tapping him for comparisons a lot. So we were comparing two different mobile developments. Now we're going to compare different spa frameworks. Uh this particular comment comes from James Green, who says, Another great show. One thing I would like to add to Brian's workflow, and he was talking about, you know, how he actually builds these mobile apps, is the support of the browser as a platform for Cordova. Mm. So the same way you can, you know, output to iOS and Android and BlackBerry and Tizen, you can also output to browser. By adding the browser platform, you're able to run a Cordova emulate browser and eliminate the step of attaching the Safari debugger to the web view. Mm. That speeds up the workflow considerably when testing JavaScript changes in a Cordova app. Yeah. Nice little piece of insight there. Thanks yep. very much, James. And, uh, and a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We, we send them out on the skateboard with our dogs. <laughs> 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 oh man speaking of springtime the dog got a tick uh-oh not a lyme disease tick a, a brown tick actually i tick common to kennels and interesting enough he got that tick on his way out of the groomers so. oh wow wow uh, that's what happens well i found it we removed it properly no big deal but it's like hey it's springtime welcome to ticks yeah yeah you got to come to connecticut to get lyme disease right actually that's not true but it started in lyme connecticut which is about a half an hour from where i live yeah and it, yeah. lyme disease is in british columbia but it is a particular kind of tick that carries it i mm. think the bigger issue here is like in your part of the world they just test for lyme disease yep. and know how to treat it here it's just not well known and so you know if you don't get it treated it can be quite serious yeah that's right telltale sign are a a very microscopic little dot that looks like well it's a tick but it it just looks like a dot usually can't see the body they're they're very small ticks that the the lyme disease carrying but if you get a a round bullseye rash red rash around it you better go get something right yeah the the tick that we pulled off of zach was like the size of your of your pinky fingernail this was a big big tick yeah yeah a friend I know, uh, a friend I know, used to say, "I'm full as a tick." <laughs> <laughs> All well, right. Anyway, yeah. Let's bring on Brian Noyes. He is CTO and co-founder of Salliance, also a Plural Site author, Microsoft Regional Director, and MVP. Brian specializes in web, mobile, and desktop application development, as well as Azure services for backend development. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Thanks. Great to be here again. And hey, we're all renewed RDs, aren't we? All three of That's us. That's right. And that, that was some feat this time around, because they, they did some cutting. Yeah, it was yeah. some serious renewal. Yeah, the, the, the yeah for sure. definitely were uh, much more specific and, and stringent about what the requirements were. So, I was glad to pass those gates. Yeah. yeah, exciting stuff. So, what have you been up to lately in the world of spas? 
Uh, still uh, just cranking out apps for customers in the consulting role. Sometimes just, mm-hmm. you know, guiding them on making their own choices for their team and a lot of times helping them build it. Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying Angular's getting so popular, it's time to switch to something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's my MO. I, I really wish they had used a different name for what is now Angular. Right. So, you know, that's one point of clarification for those who haven't tuned in recently is it's not Angular 2 because Angular 4 just released. And right. they skipped over 3 just to keep it confusing <laughs> uh, for, for reasons to do with what they did when they put out Angular 2. But they want people to call it when... When you say Angular, you're referring to 2 plus, basically. And if you say Angular JS, then you're referring to Angular 1.x. Yeah, maybe Angular is a, is a word that sort of counteracts tubular, you know, like totally tubular. <laughs> no, it's totally either angular. tubular or it's angular. Angular is like a very <laughs> 80s kind of thing. You know, everything was angled. Hairstyles, Star Trek Next Generation uniforms, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the naming is just, uh, it's, it, it's, remember the fun days of uh, when you couldn't call Metro, Metro anymore? Right, yeah. <laughs> and we still and we, did, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we don't work for Microsoft. The platform formerly known as, as Metro. But, you know, sudden, suddenly Googling solutions for your Windows Store app or your modern app, you know, became incredibly hard because those words are just too freaking general. Right. Well, now now it's the same thing with Angular because you do an Angular search and you're going to get thousands of things from the, you know, previous years of Angular 1.x. Yeah. Uh, and most things haven't quite kept, kept up with the uh, naming. And, you know, they want you to just call it Angular now. It's always going to pick up all the old results. Sure. So it it makes things more confusing on tracking down solutions to whatever you may be working on at the time. Yeah. It seemed yeah, and, and it's why did they skip 3 was there really a reason? There was actually. So they went through a couple of different router designs as they were developing Angular 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of, when they first were starting to be public about Angular 2, they had what they were calling the new router. Mm-hmm. And they ended up throwing that one away and, and designing a completely new one, which was the new, new router, which wasn't a very good name, of course. So um, they basically versioned that as version three because the, the one they threw away had been a version two number. Yeah. And since it was a complete rewrite, they used a, a version three on that. And then basically what they've done is they've decided to go with what's called semantic versioning, where anytime you have a breaking change, no matter how small, you bump the major version number. And so that's what drove them to, you know, basically a few of the changes that they put into what's now Angular 4 were breaking in the sense that, you know, your existing code wouldn't work without upgrading some libraries and stuff. Mm. And uh, and so they didn't want to use three because then the you know the router was already three, so they jumped to four. Just yeah. kind of reminds me of the days of everyone aligning on .NET four. Yeah, we did it with Prism. Remember, we had a previous show where we talked about Prism four. Yeah, and everyone went back then was like, "What happened to three? Because we oh. jumped from two <laughs> to two to four. Entity Framework did that too. There was just, there was there was a yep. jump because they just wanted everything to be four at that point. It's still yeah you know, exactly. Every time I see Google acting like the old Microsoft, I get nervous. Uh, well, and it's uh, I'm just finishing up a, a course on Angular and Breeze right now for Pluralsight, and it's been a royal pain for me because, uh, you know, I started this a while back doing it, you know, here and there where I can between consulting, 
And uh, so a lot of the earlier stuff, you know, I was saying Angular 2 on every other phrase. And then once they came out with this announcement, I had to go back and completely re-record the earlier modules to stop saying 22222. Ah, <laughs> sucks. And yeah. isn't Breeze one of Ward Bell's brainstorms? Yeah, yeah. So it comes out of IdeaBlade. It's an open source project, you yeah. know, and, and they do take contributions. But yeah, IdeaBlade, Ward Bell, and, and Jay Traband, uh, both, both co-founders of IdeaBlade, are the uh, – Jay's really more at the heart of it than, than Ward um, in terms of the implementation and everything. But uh, yeah, he's actually working with me on a, on a project right now where we're doing – Angular and Breeze together, and it's a sweet fit. Mm. Nice, nice, and, I, and yeah, I'm just curious about how Angular and Breeze fit together. What's the, what's the division of labor? Well, it's it's pretty much the same as it's been since the beginning. The way I think about Breeze, well, especially for for your audience, where most people are at least familiar with Entity Framework, mm-hmm. the the easiest analogy I can give is that the same thing that the DB context is to your back end, right. Uh, the, the breeze entity manager is to your front end in Java in you know in a JavaScript or TypeScript app. So it just forms this nice repository like uh, you know data access layer where instead of you know explicitly making HTTP calls yourself to go get data and push updates and stuff, you just talk to this entity manager and it executes the queries, pulls the data back and caches it, does change tracking on it. So at any point you can just walk up to it and say save changes just like like you do on a DB context nice. and it knows what to send and what, you know, what kinds of calls so it can send down all the changes that have happened since the last time you said save changes. Right. Uh, I can send them all in a single batch. But it is pushing a delta. It's not just pushing everything back up. Correct. Yeah. 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 So it basically just tracks, you know, when whenever you create a new entity, anytime you delete or really mark an entity for deletion, because you got to send it to the back end to really get it deleted. And then any property changes on ones that you pulled from the back end, it's just tracking all of that. And you can either just, you know, like a DB context, you can say save changes, it'll do everything. Or you can be more fine grain and say, I just want to save this, this entity that I know changed. And I see on the Breeze website that they do reference Angular JS. So they specific about support one X, or do they have separate support for for two plus? Uh, they have separate support for two plus. So what they have is is um, a library called Breeze Bridge Angular uh, with dashes in between. Mm-hmm. In between. And it does similar, they had a similar one for Angular 1.x, where the two main things it does is kind of substitutes, um, for one thing, the it, it's making the HTTP calls on your behalf. So, you know, like a DB context does all the low-level SQL talking to SQL Server, um, the Entity Manager in Breeze does all the wire-level communication for you. So you just go to the Entity Manager and say, execute this query, and it turns it into an HTTP call. And then when you say save changes, it turns it into a, you know, an HTTP post. Nice. So what their, what their little bridge does is just substitutes when they originally built uh, Breeze. None of these frameworks were you know, totally the only one to go with. And uh, and so they built it on top of jQuery for the HTTP calls and a separate library called Q.js for promises. But when you're in a either Angular 1 or Angular 2 plus environment, you want to use uh, native promises now with ES 2015 and TypeScript. Right. And you want to use the framework's HTTP service instead yeah. of jQuery. So their bridge basically just does that substitution under the covers. It's all 
built with kind of a provider model under the cover so that they can easily do that swap. I think this is an interesting part of where we are with JavaScript libraries is as the browser continues to evolve and JavaScript keeps getting new functionality, as a library owner, you kind of have to carve pieces off and use the native stuff as it comes available. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's always a moving target, right? Because, right. you know, yes, 2015 is almost two years old now, and, and there's still parts of it that some browsers don't support. Yeah, the, the browser support itself is an interesting battle, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it, uh, I'm fascinated this idea that, that the malcontent these days is Apple, is Safari. Yep. Yeah, true. Yep. Yeah, yeah Edge is doing a good job of of you know staying up, you know, pretty much equal with with Chrome in terms of staying on the leading edge of everything. But uh, yeah, the uh, you know the Safari stuff tends to be the stuff that's lagging. We're pretty impressed with uh, React. Are you, have you guys used that a bit? You know, I have not carved out time to you know other than just trying to understand what it's about and how it changes your app. I've never built anything in anger with it. I like the, uh, uh, I like the way it's componentized, you know, and nested. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes, it makes for, you know, it's more like, um, you know, the, the programming that we've been doing for years with G starting in VB, you know, right. I mean, it's not drag and drop, but it's as close as we can get to contained components. Well, and that's one of the things I definitely do like about the the Angular 2 Plus design is in one way, it almost feels like a step backward for someone like me who's been really immersed in UI separation patterns like MVVM and MVC. Angular yeah. 1.x was MVC based, but it kind of evolved into a flavor of, of model view view model MVVM mm. uh, in, in the later releases. And so, you know, that that felt completely comfortable to me coming out of a XAML background and lots of MVVM stuff. And Aurelia similarly comes, you know, a strong influence from XAML with uh, Rob Eisenberg at the at the helm there. And he had built Caliburn, a previous uh, MVVM framework. Yeah. So those things all are kind of a natural progression for someone who's been immersed in UI separation patterns. Angular 2 Plus kind of takes a step back in that it's now component oriented. So it's sort of a different, you know, layer of encapsulation. It actually feels an awful lot like uh, web forms controls. Yeah. Or uh, or even WinForms controls, Custom you know, it's controls, just it, right. yeah, it's a component that's made up of both the UI markup and the logic code that supports it, you know. And I I can't stop myself from calling it code behind, even though <laughs> I think I think that's you know frowned on by the cool kids in the Angular community. But it's that's exactly what it is to anyone who's experienced code behind in ASP.NET or WinForms yeah. or yeah. even WPF. It's the same basic concept. Yeah, and that's where we want to be. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a different, you know, different design, but it's still good encapsulation. And there's, you know, well-defined patterns that you can follow to have good, clean code. And so that's one of the things I'm definitely liking, uh, you know, the combination of uh, ES2015 or TypeScript and the, the modularity that it brings in combined with the component-oriented nature of Angular uh, or on the Aurelia side doing it as an MVVM view plus view model. Yeah. It's just a much cleaner, structured way to put together a, a front-end web app than we've really had before. Structured JavaScript? Are you mm-hmm. crazy? <laughs> <laughs> that's what's beautiful about it. It's yeah. like, you you know, you can be very rigid about design patterns and, and you know, exactly what you expect the code to look like. 
um, because the the frameworks and the and the platform support it now. Are you working in TypeScript as well? Yeah. So I, I when I did my Aurelia course, um, I stuck to ES twenty fifteen mm-hmm. um, because at that point. Well, actually, I think when I very first got started with the the course was even before the Angular team announced they were switching over to TypeScript, um, and they were you know previously working with what they had invented, which was called AtScript. And so at the time, I was like, eh, you know, TypeScript hasn't really taken off, so I'll just stick to the S twenty fifteen features. And uh, you know, once Google announced they were going to go ahead and build Angular with TypeScript. It just became a natural. And so the, the nice thing is, is if you learn ES2015, you already know TypeScript. The only real difference is the typing. But all the structuring of your code, all the you know identifiers and all the primitives and stuff, the way you define classes, the way you import modules, all that stuff is exactly the same across ES2015 and TypeScript. Um, when you step into TypeScript, the only difference is now you can put a type on every variable or on return types of methods and stuff and have it kind of enforce that stuff for you. And I do like... You know, coming out of a, a strongly typed .NET world for many years and C++ before that, I do like having that extra compile time checking and, you know, making it very clear when I'm doing something dumb, trying to, you know, cast something that wasn't intended. You catch it as early as possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud Platform. You may not know this, but the Google Cloud Platform supports Windows Server 2008, 2012, and 2016. It also supports SQL Server versions 2012, 2014, and 2016 standard web and enterprise editions with high availability. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine. That's Google's hosted Kubernetes environment. .NET and .NET Core libraries are there for all 200-plus Google.com and cloud services in NuGet, led by John Skeet of Stack Overflow fame. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. You get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And a great set of partners to bring your Windows and .NET workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. It is interesting to me to think about this new infrastructure with Angular, TypeScript, all these sorts of things is about trying to build some reliability into, you know, what used to be just a little scripting language. Now there's just so much code. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I'm, uh, you know, I'm working on a couple of projects right now and um, it feels, you know, it's it's the same amount of code you would write if you're writing a WPF desktop application and, and a lot of the same patterns, you know, just different syntax to the code. Um, but the the way we're breaking things out, you know, at a sort of top level shell and then breaking down into components for like a left hand panel, right hand panel, mm. and then decomposing from there into, you know, the, the contents of those panels and all the navigation paradigms, it, it all flow, you know, you're just, you're building a rich client. It's sure. just different code. It's just, just hosted uh, in the syntax. browsers. Yep. Uh, what about testing? Do you have a, a framework you like to use? What's your approach to making JavaScript testable? Uh, I wish I could answer that better. Um, right. I know I, 
I know I should. Um, <laughs> just don't write that, bugs. Is that the answer? I don't write bugs. <laughs> yeah. He listens yeah, yeah. to Doug Crockford. I, ra- <laughs> I, I write flawless code from the start. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of lean on the whatever testing tools, the framework I'm I'm working with is right. using. Um, so these, you know, with with both Angular and Aurelia, it, it tends to be uh, tends to be Karma and uh, Protractor for end-to-end tests. Hmm. And yeah, how about code generation? So code generation, uh, I have been using the Angular CLI and the Aurelia CLI uh, do similar things. I definitely use it to create the basic project. So, you know, especially, and this is one of the things, you know, when it comes right down to a personal preference, if I have free reign to pick the framework, personally, I'm going to pick Aurelia. Hmm. Um, and we could maybe talk hmm. some about why that is. Yeah. But but a lot of it has to do with, or, or the strongest aspect that makes me feel that way is that there is just a lot of boilerplate code in Angular 2 Plus. Yeah. Um, there is, you know, they went with a uh, configuration over convention based <laughs> approach. Okay. So, you know, I, I really hate to draw this analogy. Someone will kill me for this, but it feels a little bit like WCF in a way. Oh, because, wow. you know, the, the, the downside of WCF is you configure the hell out of everything, right? Yeah, yeah. It there's, kind of feels that way in Angular, one, too. One would call that flexibility, my friends. Well, there, but if there's no good defaults, you can't get going. Is that what you're right. saying? There's no good default settings? Well, there are for some things, but I just I feel like I'm having to express my intent way too much when that intent is always the same. Yeah, right. And that's where Aurelia takes the exact opposite approach. They're heavily convention over configuration based. So, you know, they have well-defined conventions for if you have this method on your view model, it'll be called in this phase of the life cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, I came across one of these the other day and, and compared notes with uh, Ward Bell is, is part of the Angular team now. He's writing most of the documentation, which wow. is fantastic. He's, he's really good. He's got some really good docs up there and sample all the samples and stuff. They're doing a really good job, probably because they have Ward on the job. Um, but uh, I was com- trying to basically I needed to uh, do something in a component right before it was navigated away from. So it's the current view and you're about to go to another view. Uh, and I needed to do some cleanup type stuff. And in Aurelia, that's just can deactivate. You know, you just implement that method and it'll be called. In uh, Angular, you had to go declare an interface and implement an interface from the framework and then go import that into your module and then tie it into your routing system. It was just like, oh, my God. Is you know, in the end, it was maybe 20, 30 lines of code I had to write, but it was you know the difference of one line of code effectively I would have written mm. in Aurelia. Yeah, so it's just little things like that that I you know I definitely find a preference. Like I said, I've got an inherent bias, just being my brain is wired for MVBM, and that's the basic pattern of Aurelia. Um, but I do like the convention over configuration aspect of it. Yeah. I was wary of that at first because um, one of the distinguishing factors of Caliburn, which was a XAML-based MVVM framework that was kind of, you could think of it as a competitor for Prism that I've, you know, talked about on the show and worked a lot with. Yeah. Um, Rob went almost like crazy uh, convention over configuration in, in Caliburn where you could have views and view models that had no binding expressions whatsoever in them. 
There were just controls that had names and there was code that did stuff. And they were completely decoupled with one another and they basically automatically got wired up by the framework based on naming conventions. So if you had a you know a save button and there was a save method in your in your view model, then it would just automatically get wired up for you. And that was like a little too much convention over configuration for my taste. Hmm. But I feel like in Aurelia, they got it, you know, just right that those things that are common things, you know, if you want them, you just add a method. Basically, you're at a, at a property here and there. And there's just no nowhere near as much ceremony as there is in Angular. Yeah, and then and yeah, the challenge, of course, is secret behavior, right? Like it, then it does stuff you don't expect it to do, and you're wondering, you know, why is this behaving like this? Very true. Uh, yeah. And I mean, that was always one of those counter arguments with WCF as well. It's like, you know, it's hard to keep track of all the things that you, you know, can or have to set. But yeah. if it's set, you can say definitively what's going to happen. Whereas with the, you know, convention based stuff, you're guessing a little bit. Well, yeah, I guess you know, part of you understanding the product is understanding these are the conventions. This is what it's going to do unless you explicitly say otherwise. Right. Yeah. I also see this sort of an upswing in more opinionated frameworks. It's like, no, our tool is for this. If you're not going this way, don't go here. Yeah, but there's still, especially in the JavaScript community, there's still a little too much of the shiny new toy. Everyone right. should adopt it now and, and drop everything they've ever done before. Yeah, that's been a problem for a long time. I mean, it was a problem in our community in the early days of, of uh, .NET and before. You know, we had yeah. that, uh, you know, when the when the third party tool market was just getting started and everybody wanted the latest, shiniest stuff. Oh, I, I was thrilled. I was always after how many rows of of uh, of tools can I get? You know, right. I want more tools and more tools. You know, until Visual Studio dropped to its knees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, we, we got bit by that. Yeah. Right. Because we depended on these things that did the work for us without understanding what they did and having the source code and all that. And if you're an old VB guy, then there was, when they did the 16 to 32 bit move, a whole bunch of controls didn't come across. Yeah. Or when they did, they were totally different and broke everything. Hey, man, ours worked. Crescent Software, we had our <laughs> stuff together. <laughs> yeah. And then you think <laughs> about the break with .NET, you know, Developer Express, Telerik, those guys came out of building, you know, starting fresh, building stuff for .NET yeah. and ne never involved in the old VBX OCX model. Yeah. And they, they, the original companies, those older companies, they struggled mightily to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, and those same companies are now struggling a lot with this, you know, shift that a lot of people are doing moving to, to web front ends like this because sure. they want to jump in that market and, and play the same way they did in the .NET market, but that's a market that's used to free and open source. Yeah. <laughs> So it makes it a lot harder for them to sell their products in that space than than they did with compiled binaries in, in .NET world. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to express my sense of humor in a three-word catchphrase. Awesome. But I have three different possibilities. You tell me what you think. Okay. Number one, confusion over cogitation. <laughs> Two, stupidity over sanity. Mm -hmm. And surrealism over sit down and thinkism. <laughs> sit down and thinkism. Yeah, I think that might be the one. <laughs> I'm not sure. Anyway, it's time to give away a D Experience subscription 
to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with Developer Express UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Vishar Gashi. Hi, Roger. This is Vishar. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. And uh, Vishar won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. All right, Brian, you know the drill. You got five grand. We're going shopping for technology. What are you going to buy? For once, I actually thought about this ahead of time. Usually, usually I'm like, uh, duh. Yeah. yeah. So at the top of my list would be uh, another um, top of the top end NVIDIA graphics card and two more 4K monitors. I've got a mm. nice setup in my office with a standing desk and a treadmill and then a sitting desk. And I've got my I, I upgraded my system last summer and got dual 4K monitors um, and a NVIDIA 980 Ti. Nice. something something um and man when when i go to my standing desk which has my old 1080p monitors on it just the the brightness and the the crisp display that i'm now used to with that yeah. four, those 4k monitors mm. i'm just dying to have the same setup for my standing desk so you get ruined I, yeah what I, uh what size are your are your 4ks uh 228s so do you scale much like what's the scaling level um, they're just doing their native 38, like a, 40 a, by... A, but you, you like to keep your icons decent size, you like 150% oh, or 200%? Oh, 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 that's scaling, yeah. yeah I yeah. think I'm at 150 or 175. Yeah. And it, yeah, you know, I was, I was worried that a lot of different apps would look horrible on there. Um, most do a really good job that yeah. it just looks green and clean and crisp. There's a few that you end up with some tiny little, you know, buttons and stuff, but... Because if, if you got the five grand, I I picked up the forty three inch four K screen, which you could run at one hundred percent. Then you oh, really man. only need one because it's a giant screen. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it's it's see big, my but... my dilemma there is I've got the the whole uh, back wall of my detached office is glass looking out on our yard. Oh yeah, and I like having that you know being able to just kind of look up and distance vision and clear my brain kind of thing. So I wouldn't want to totally block it out with that big a monitor. You know, one of the tricks I've done uh, when we were, when I was set up upstairs is I actually took a photo of the view out the window from behind my monitor and mm. made it my wallpaper. Yep, that's awesome. I've done that before. <laughs> yeah. And it, if you get it just right, you're sitting in the right place, it's like all you have is the outline of your monitor and it's like you're just looking through it. Yeah. Yeah, so a couple more 4Ks and, and uh, I guess 1080 uh, Ti's are the, the newest NVIDIA card. And I think uh, if you want to burn money, there's always the Titan X. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> $1,200. Yeah, bucks. yeah, well, when I bought, bought mine, I think it was about five five 600 for the yeah. 980 Ti. Yeah. And the Titans were like three grand. Is the yeah. Titan, what, what is the thing that we say about the Titan? It's the fastest processor. In uh, in well, certainly the fastest video processor, but the fastest thing that you can get on a 
on that form factor. Yeah, to, to, to fit into a PC. The, the, the current generation, the Titan XP, which is, again, about $1,200, 12.1 teraflops. Yikes. Teraflops. This is faster than supercomputers from the 90s. Yeah, right? I mean, the yeah. current generation supercomputers are going into the petaflops now, but to get 12 teraflops in a video card, I mean, what are you doing with it except playing Candy Crush, mm-hmm. right? But uh, yeah, it's a beast of a card. I have some friends who work in astronomy, and they gang these things up to do video processing for identifying asteroids and things. Like, they're, the horsepower in these top-end video cards, it's unbelievably performant. Wow. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, so that would give me part way there, and then I think I'd just uh, buy the same monitors for my wife's setup. <laughs> there you go. All yeah, all good stuff. Uh, I don't want to go away from the whole open source discussion because I think it's a very sure. interesting time for us with you know the with the .NET team going open source as well. You, you know, it sort of makes you wonder how this economy is going to work out long term. I mean, Microsoft's obviously interested in selling cloud. They've never really you know, charged all that much for the, for the dev stuff. But, uh, you know, the open source community, you know, there's things that are worth paying for good support, maintain tools, up-to-date versions like that's, that that costs money. Well, and that seems to be the, the common model across some of the component vendors is, you know, they put out either their full tool suite as, as free open source and then try to garner consulting services around it and, and right. tech support type services. Uh, or they go with the, you know, free and premium kind of model that you get the basic controls, but then if you want the, you know, fully fledged do everything controls, then you have to go with a paid model. But talking to, you know, a few people who are part of those companies, they're still, you know, struggling to make that, profitable in the same way that their paid components were well and i point out the fact that you know rob eisenberg the the driver of aurelia he works for microsoft now hmm. right yep. on the documentation team yeah yep. yeah last i checked yeah what do you think's gonna happen doing, there with, uh, with, uh, aurelia, with aurelia yeah well, the core team is still, you know, I mean, Rob was leading the charge. Uh, part of his agreement hiring on with Microsoft is that he could continue to work on Aurelia. Um, so it's, you know, the question always comes up when I give talks on it and stuff. So is Microsoft going to, you know, take over Aurelia? And I think the answer there is definitely not. Right, but yeah. I think the benefit that, that Aurelia gets out of it is they've got a, you know, obviously a strong advocate. So, you know, things like um, there's a there's an effort that the ASP.NET Core team has done called JavaScript Services, mm. which lets you code generate a, a project that you can either do command line or uh, Visual Studio with an ASP.NET Core basis, but then use Angular, React, Aurelia as mm. your as your front end framework, yeah. uh, you know, within that project structure, which is which is a huge thing because the you know the biggest challenge for people adopting Angular 2 Plus or Aurelia has nothing to do with the framework. It has yeah. everything to do with this new world of compiled front-end, you know, TypeScript, JavaScript, that you are building these modules and there's module loaders and there's all this different infrastructure that you need. You know, it's not just flat files being loaded into the browser anymore. Yeah. Um, so getting the right build environment, build, deploy, and test environment 
uh, put together is a non-trivial task, and there's many different paths to success, which just kind of adds to the confusion factor. Mm. So these uh, JavaScript services projects are nice for the you know tried and true Visual Studio person who doesn't want to leave the warm confines of, of Visual Studio. There's now a, a good path there for uh, Angular 2 and Aurelia. And so I think you know having Rob kind of in the house there to to advocate to always try to keep Aurelia on a you know semi equal par with yeah with uh, Angular is a good thing for the framework. And we did a show back in November of 2016 with Steve Sanderson talking about JavaScript services when it was brand new. Yeah, that was actually how I heard about it at first. I was, I was, you know, working on some, getting started with some Angular two stuff at that point, and I was like, "Yes, there's a path." <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good idea. But you know what? That's Steve Sanderson, man. That yeah. guy is thinking about our next problem as web developers every day. Yep. Sure Absolutely. Is. I mean, it was his knockout that got me into the whole spa world in the beginning. Yeah, no kidding. And 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 a lot of people, in a lot of ways, he just started defining spa as a manageable approach with knockout. Mm. Do you still use knockout? Like, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. It's just, just not as cool and sexy as the later stuff. Yeah, I, I don't, I haven't touched it in a long time. I know, uh, you know, Miguel Castro, I, I was giving him crap for a long time because he continued giving knockout talks at conferences. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people would show up and, and the fact is, uh, you know, Knockout is supporting probably the biggest spa in the world today. Yeah. Which yeah. is the, the Azure, Azure portal. portal. Right. Yeah. Which you've had people on the show talk about. Oh, so. yeah. Absolutely. And it's great. I, you know, I resisted it for a while because it was new and, and everything. But now I'm finding that there's nothing I can't do on it. Yeah. Yep. Just in time for the old one to be shut down. Nice. Yeah, at the time that I was using Knockout, it was purely a data binding library, which was it was a perfect kind of uh, you know gateway drug, if you will, for me to to bring me into the spa side because I've always been heavily focused on data binding and Windows Forms and and WPF and XAML in general, and so it made the whole approach of of you know building your whole front end in JavaScript palatable to me to go, oh, I could do data binding just like I did in my rich clients. Let yeah. me check that out. Yep. But uh, I know, you know, with the, all the stuff they did with the Azure portal and stuff they added, it became more of a spa framework than just yeah. a data binding library. But I had already kind yeah. of moved on to, to Angular 1.x at that point. Yeah. And, he, and you said quite bluntly here that you if you have a choice you'll use Aurelia but what what's the argument is it just a preference thing or is it faster to develop in like what's the real strength uh it's more a preference thing to be right. honest you know uh, the only uh work I've done with it is playing developing my course building samples and right. presenting on it I haven't built a production app on it mm -hmm. uh, whereas I I am building a couple of production apps with Angular 2 right now. And, um, you know, even even given that and, you know, more real-world work on it, I would still drop Angular 2 personally and, and go to Aurelia for some of the reasons mentioned. I like, yeah. the, I find that Aurelia approach. has a better, yeah, the convention-based approach is a much cleaner balance to me. I just find I write less code to do the same thing right. in Aurelia. I really um, do want you to the, try React, though, and let, let me know what you think. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Ward and I have had conversations about this. Uh, I, I think I somewhat resist just because 
there's you know certain members of the JavaScript community that have been on different podcasts and stuff, and they that seems to be the uh, you know the shiniest new toy that they want to discard all things that came before and yeah, everything well. should be React now. So I think that kind of uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that is warranted unless there's a reason. But um, my experience has been there's just a lot less code and it's a lot more componentized and and talk about uh, convention over configuration. It's it's really nice. It's pretty elegant. Yeah, true. You know, you you kind of are a, a fan of elegant code, so I'm thinking yep, you'll definitely. like it. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to carve some time out for that eventually. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, you know, at a, at a technical level, in fact, I did a, a, a comparison article that we could uh, post a link to on the Pluralsight blog. And at a technical level, they're just different. You can't say either one is technically superior to the other. They're, you know, equally capable. There are certain things in, in Angular 2 where you'll have to write a, a bit more code than you would in Aurelia. Yeah. Uh, they're different from the design pattern perspective that Angular is component-oriented and Aurelia is MVVM, mm-hmm. you know, UI separation pattern-based. Yeah. So the the structure of each individual view that you write is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've had zero exposure to MVVM or MVC, then probably Angular is going to resonate more. Yeah. Um, so it's it's there's you know it makes it very hard. And so the one, you know, what's the what's the killer reason that someone goes with one over the other? is what I've been finding with the customers I've been dealing with. It's just simply the the size of the audience of Angular wins every time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they're not willing to to adopt Aurelia because they're they're afraid of the smaller audience means, you know, less resources in terms of hiring people, less documentation, less samples, right. and so on. Sure. So they go with the, you know, the big gorilla and and expect that the ecosystem will support them better, which is is not a bad argument. It's uh, it's not a bad argument at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how we we are naturally pushing towards you know we complain when we have a monopoly so to speak or when there's one approach dominating and at the same time we always push for it because we want that that size of community that range of options like did those things all kind of go together yeah exactly i mean there's plenty of decisions to be made in your own app and how to satisfy your own requirements having to thrash up front trying to decide what framework to even use is just too hard <laughs> yeah an unnecessary battery of work, but it is an interesting schism that we deal with to to be able to do both those things. Uh, yeah, I, I mean the the Aurelia audience is not tiny by any any imagination. They've got a huge audience on their Gitter channel. Uh, there are, there do seem to be a lot of people adopting it. Um, so you know, I think it'll it's going to stay in there as a contender. Um, will it ever overtake Angular? Uh, Personally, I'd love it if it did, but uh, you know, I doubt it because the the you know we talked about naming before, and from a getting things done perspective, I wish they would have named Angular Two Plus something else, yeah, so that we we didn't have all the confusion there. Yeah. But from a driving their audience forward to their new version, it totally makes sense because it just you know makes it sort of a no brainer thing. If you were an Angular One Point X guy, the normal the you know the normal conclusion would be I should become an Angular 2 Plus guy. Well, at least Angular 2 Plus has only five syllables. <coughs> Microsoft. <laughs> <coughs> Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, what's next for you, dude? 
Oh, I'm just, uh, I'm always trying to find more time for Azure stuff. My, you know, my colleagues, uh, Michelle and Zoiner at Alliance are just crazy smart on all things Azure. And I don't know how, the, and AWS for that matter. I don't know how they fit all that stuff in their heads, but client stuff seems to uh, fill up a lot of my time that they yeah. don't bother with. <laughs> yeah. Are most of your customers using Azure to, for their websites or is it still a lot of on-prem? Still some on-prem, um, but yeah, I mean, definitely we specialize in cloud stuff and mm-hmm. Azure in particular. So, uh, you know, we've got a lot of a lot of customers that we're helping migrate to Azure from on-prem solutions. Um, we've got Michelle especially works with uh, AWS and, and she's got a number of customers she's working with there. So we try to be somewhat nonpartisan about the about the cloud. But, you know, we all came out of Microsoft backgrounds and we I think all three of us, I, I can't speak for them, but, right. you know, I think Azure is a superior platform in ter- terms of the range of choices and and the number of uh, you know platform as a service especially options that you have to to compose a really elegant architecture for even very complex high scale solutions mm. um, and I think you know that's one place that Microsoft's beating Amazon and definitely the you know the Google services are up and coming and trying to trying to compete but you know, at this point, it's the mind share is mostly on AWS and Azure. Well, uh, Brian, thanks very much for talking to us. It's always great to catch up with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. And we'll uh, see you down in Orlando at the end of May. That sounds great. Looking yeah. forward to it. Awesome. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.